Today's shear begins two lines from the bottom of Daf Pei Beis Omid Beis. We left off our previous year in the middle of a discussion. We presented the opinion of Rabbi Yochanan regarding a woman who had vowed not to eat two loaves and with the uh, abstention of eating one of the two loaves of not, namely not eating either loaf she would experience inui. So Rabbi Yochanan said with regard to one loaf the husband's annulment of her vow will have an effect. However, she remains prohibited in eating the second loaf. As far as Rabbi Yochanan is concerned, the second loaf does not present a, a, a problem of inui, and therefore she, uh, the husband cannot annul it. The triangle that you see introduces, as we explain on the side of the Gemara, Kushos al Rabbi Yochanan. We're going to challenge Rabbi Yochanan's teaching. Eisvei. A woman who had taken upon herself the nazir vow. Being a nazir prohibits a person from drinking wine, grape products, and also from defiling oneself to the dead. We continue at the top of Pei Gimel Omed Aleph. A woman like that who had accepted upon herself uh, nazirus, and violates it, so she is subject to the penalty of being lashed, the 40 lashes, which is the punishment for violating a negative command in the Torah. We say 40 lashes, technically speaking, is 39 lashes, but the, the number 40 is found in the Torah, and hence it's referred to as the 40 lashes. A woman who had vowed, as we said, to become a Nazira, and the husband, in the meantime, had annulled the vow, but she didn't realize that he annulled it. And she went ahead and drank wine and defiled herself to the dead. She is exempt from the punishment of lashing. If you're going to accept Rabbi Yochanan's approach to annulment, Namely, that when a husband, when they let, let us say you have several aspects or, or parts or details to a vow, and that the husband's realm of annulment concerns only that which would otherwise lead to her feeling of uh, suffering and deprivation, only that aspect of her vow the husband can annul. Dilma. It might very well be then, if you follow that logic, from actual wine, the abstention of from which would lead to a person suffering, feeling deprivation. So that is the aspect of the Nazirus that the husband annulled. The chatzen and zag are grape seeds, grape peels, which are forbidden to a nazir. Law, fair law. That the husband didn't or even couldn't annul. The holo is law tsara. She doesn't have pain from abstention from chatzen uh, and zag. Vitispog es harboyman. Let her be subject to the lashes based on her continued consumption of the chartzen and zag. It's true she continued drinking the wine, but 
that wouldn't lead to her uh, lashes because of the husband's annulment. But the other aspects of Zira's prohibition, which she continued to violate, why does the source say she doesn't get any punishment? The uh, Ran, which we'll look at together, uh, you'll find in the first of the narrow lines, if Rabbi Yochanan's teaching is to be accepted, the Tana should have taught this additional Chiddush. That even if the husband did annul the vow, uh, she is still liable to the lashing punishment for eating even the Zag and Chartzan. And yet the Tana doesn't teach that. So it would seem that when the husband annuls, he annuls across the boards everything, whether it be the Inui aspect or even the non-Inui aspect. Omar Rav Yosef. So Rav Yosef comes to the defense of Shmuel's teach of I should say of Rabbi Yochanan's teaching, and says that in this case, the question is raised uh, from Nazirus. So this is a unique situation. Ein Nazirus lechatsoyin. We take a look at the Rosh commentary, the fourth of the wide lines in the Rosh commentary. Ein Nazirus lechatsoyin. That means that the Nazirus does not uh, exist in in halves or in portions. Kishomarini Nazira, when she accepted upon herself Nazirus status, Chalolel called din Nazirus. She is then bound to all aspects of Nazirus. Kishomar Muferlichi, when the husband annuls it, Muferakol, everything falls away. Everything is annulled. Domi Kikros. It's not parallel. The case of Nazirus is not parallel to the original teaching of, of uh, Rabbi Yochanan, which concerned the two loaves, the Kishnei Nedarim Domu. The two loaves uh, are viewed, or can be viewed, as two separate vows. As you can see in our marked Gemara, you notice a long bracketed section. On the side we have a note, uh, which reads, after the bracketed section, continues with uh, a question on Rabbi Yochanan. Uh, within the brackets, you'll see that Abaye raises a question on Rav Yosef. So uh, that having been said, uh, hopefully the structure is quite clear. <coughs> and now we go into the bracketed section. Omar Lei Abaye. Ha korban lechatsi nazirus ika. You see, Rav Yosef said there's no nazirus lechatsoyin. Part of the laws of nazirus uh, include the bringing of sacrifices upon the conclusion of the nazirus period. Your basic nazirus is a thirty-day vow, thirty days during which a person abstains from uh, wine or grape vine products and uh, defilement to the dead, at the conclusion of that, a person brings a series of sacrifices. He brings an ola, korban, a shlomim, and a chatas. 
from what Rav Yosef says that Ein Nazirus Lechatsoyen it gives rise to Abaye inferring something that is not true. And we look at the Ran commentary right across from here. In wonderment, we read this. From the fact that Rav Yosef said that Ein Nazirus Lechatsoyen Velo Ko'omar Ein Chatsoyen Benazirus. Again, the very fine difference in expression makes all the difference in the world. He didn't say Ein Chatsoyen Benazirus. Mashma, the Benazirus Atzmoi Hudoleko Chatsoyen. That with regard to the basic vow of Nazirus, so it doesn't appear in parts. Ha Yesh Korban Lechatsi Nazirus. But sacrifice bringing can be done for a half Nazirus period. Kagon, Shenodra, a woman, imagine, had vowed to be a Naziru, Monsa Tezvav Yoim, and she counted 15 of the 30 days. Vehofer law by law, and the husband then annulled it. Venimsa Mevatel Tezvav Yoim Aboyim. The result of that would be that the following 15, or the concluding 15 days, would be annulled. Avot Tezvav Yom Shemonsa Kvarlo Nekru. But the 15 days that she observed already are not obliterated, are not uprooted. The Baal Megiz Gaius, as we uh, teach in Maseches Nozir, in the chapter known as Mishomareni Nozir, that's the name of the chapter, that a husband, when he annuls, he's Megiz Gaius. This is a topic we've seen in our Masechta as well. The husband cuts in half. And being that the husband's form of annulment is make his guys to cut in half, that would then leave us to think, based on the way Rav Yosef presented the matter, that after 15 days of Nazirus, uh, followed by a husband annulment, she would bring sacrifices. So, could that possibly be? And we say, no, of course not. So, Elo Omar Abaye. Notice the House marking that all of a sudden appeared on the side of the Gemara under the Mivneh, the structural note we indicate this is Makav, an attempt to keep track of the back and forth style of Gemara. The house point up, uh, point facing upwards, represents Dino Shalabaye, and the inverted house will be a challenge, a question. So, Elo Omar Abaye, we continue with the Gemara, we also call him number two, following Rav Yosef, who was number one. Ein Nazirus Lechatsoin, Vein Korban Lechatsoin. He clarifies the point and says that there isn't uh, a concept of Nazirus Lechatsoin, and that had ramifications for the husband annulment. If he annuls the Nazirus, not only the, those aspects of Nazirus that are Inui Nefesh related, but all aspects of Nazirus are annulled. And likewise, there's no sacrifice brought or sacrifices brought for the observance of half a Nazirus. Mesve. A question. Notice it's a long question. A woman had vowed to observe Nazirus and she set aside Behemta her animals. And afterwards, the husband uh, annulled the vow. The woman brings a bird sin offering, but does not bring the bird Ola offering. The 
Ron gives uh, more background to uh, the Gemara than what we uh, actually see in the Gemara text. So let us look at the Ran. Uh, you'll see on the first line of the Ran commentary under the Gemara text, This means to say, We're talking about a woman who had accepted Nazirus, and before she set aside the animal sacrifices, she became Tameo. She became defiled. Defiled to the dead. Since the source teaches that she brings a bird sin offering, that indicates clearly that you're dealing with a situation of Tumah. You won't find a Nazir bringing a bird sin offering unless you're dealing with a case of Nazir defilement. The reference to the setting aside of an animal, that is a reference to the cow uh, guilt offering. That is part of the rules of a nausea that became defiled. He brings an animal, uh, a cow um, guilt offering. And the source is revealing to us a chidish a novel point, even though she set aside an actual animal for a guilt offering before the husband's annulment, nevertheless, she doesn't bring the other sacrifice that she would have been expected to bring as a defiled nazir, namely the bird Ola offering, once the husband annulled the vow. Viamris, if you're going to say Ein Korban Lachatsi Nazirus Shemon Sekvar, if as Abaye said that when there is a, a Nazirus annulment, there is no bringing of sacrifices for any observed Nazirus prior to the annulment, since she didn't complete the full Nazirus, Afma Shemonsa Lo Choshiv Velo Mikri Nazirus, even those days that she had counted toward the Nazirus are not of any significance. It's not even called Nazirus. Why then does the source teach that she brings a bird sin offering? What she what has happened here after the husband annuls the uh, Nazirus halfway into the Nazirus uh, observing, it's not considered Nazirus. With all that having been said, we continue back in the Gemara text, right after the framed source. The Amris ain't korban lechatsi nazirus. If you're going to say like Abaye that korbanos are not brought for partial nazirus, amai mevi achatosof. Why does she bring the bird sin offering? The Elo mai. So what do you want to say in um, in Abaye response? So according to the, the, the tone of your question, what do you want to say? Yesh, korban, lechatsi nazirus, that korbanas are, yes, brought for partial nazirus observing? Well, shalosh behemas a person who observes uh, nazirus, the conclusion of which uh, results in the bringing of three animals, chatas oilu shlomim, uh, let me read that again. She has to bring three animals. That's what is brought after the conclusion of a properly observed Nazirus. 
True, we mentioned in passing, we mentioned the, uh, the concept of a nazir that had become defiled, but the point is that if partial nazirus, as the questioner indicated, results in the uh, bringing of sacrifices, so then the, the source should have indicated that at the conclusion of a partial nazirus, which is followed by uh, the husband's annulment, nevertheless, the Nazir brings three sacrifices. And yet the source doesn't say that. Rather, it's like Abaye taught. There is no such thing as a Korban brought after partial Nazirus observance. The reference to the bringing of a bird sin offering, that is different. That is something unique to this kind of korban, the bird sin offering, mishum dechatas al hasafik. And here the Ran elaborates. Uh, we look at the Ran together, three lines from the bottom. Mishum dechatas ha'oif asel hasafik. In general, let me say, you don't bring sacrifices when you have an issue of doubt. The reason for that is, is because if the sacrifice is not necessary, then you're involved with a sin known as chulin bazara, bringing the mundane into the temple courtyard. The exception to this idea is the chatasa'of sacrifice. The kevin dekiukulehai talasofek nami ba, since the sin bird offering has this leniency that it can be brought even under circumstances of suffolk, of doubt, nami ba, and of course it's not eaten, uh, because maybe it's an unnecessary carbon and you can't eat the chathasof if it wasn't actually uh, brought as such. And this is the main point, that's why you see this dashed underline in the run, since the chathasof represents an area of sacrifice leniency will tell the person, in this case the woman that observed a partial Nazirus, bring a Chatasa'of. But in general, the idea of a Chatsi Nazirus resulting in a, in a standard Nazir Korban obligation, that doesn't exist as a, in accordance with Abaye's teaching. Eisvei. Well, again, you see a triangle. The uh, question is raised against Rabbi Yochanan, who, with regard to the woman who vowed not to eat two loaves, limited the husband's annulment powers to only one of the loaves, leaving the other loaf forbidden to the woman. Eisvei. Ha'isha shinodra bin nazir v'nitmes. A woman who had accepted Nazirus and became defiled, and afterwards the husband uh, annulled the vow. She brings a bird sin offering, but not a bird ola offering. If you're going to accept Rabbi Yochanan's teaching that a husband's annulment affects only the Inui aspect of the vow, but doesn't affect, the annulment is ineffective with regard to the non-Inui aspect. We continue at the top of Omid Beis. Dilma miyayin di'islot tsara hoferlo. Maybe, with regard to the wine abstention, that is what the husband annulled. Mitumas meis, 
the less law tsara. Low hafer law. But with regard to the uh, area concerning defilement, where the thinking is there's no element of tsar, the husband's annulment doesn't cover that aspect. And as a result of her actually defiling herself, she should bring an olas ha'of, as well as the chatas from the fact that she doesn't bring it, that would indicate that when the husband annuls, he annuls all aspects, including the non-inui aspect, and that's a kasha on Rabbi Yochanan. The Gemara answers very simply, the assumption in the question is wrong. Notice the uh, answer takes a few lines to develop. Amri tumas meis nami is law tsara. The uh, topic of defilement to the dead also carries with it an element of tsar, of pain. What do we mean by that? Well, first of all, the fact that we're categorizing the topic of tumas meis as tsara, therefore the husband certainly, his annulment will certainly cover that as well. Now, what, is, what do we mean that there's an element of pain with regard to um, the abstention from defilement to the dead? Now, defilement to the dead, generally speaking, means participating in funerals. Dichtiv. There's a posuk that says in Kehelis, The living should take to heart. What is Kehelis uh, instructing when he says that the, the living should take things to heart. The yispoid yispedun lay. Someone who practices eulogizing others, he will merit himself at the end of his life to be eulogized. The yifkun yifkun lay. One who cries over the death of others, he himself will benefit by having others cry over his death. Dibar yipurune. One who buries others will merit having others bury him. So that the the woman who had vowed to observe the rules of Nazirus, uh, included in that is abstention from participating in funerals. Well, that abstention will then lead to her ultimately losing out, as we saw in this Tanaic source. And therefore, Tumas Meis is also categorized as Tsar. And uh, therefore, the husband's annulment powers cover it as well. Uh, however, just to review the main point, however, a woman who had vowed to abstain from two loaves, the husband's annulment will enable her to eat one of the two loaves because that represented tsar, but not the second loaf after she's already achieved a sense of satisfaction having eaten the first loaf. And as you can see, we have a new Mishnah. Kunum shani nana labrios. She, a woman, vows that uh, whatever she benefits from others shall be prohibited to her. That whatever she would stand to benefit from from others, she is uh, uh, vowing not to experience. Eino yochol lahafer. So a woman who says kunum shani nana labrios, the husband cannot annul that. Now, why is this not inui nefesh? If she's vowing not to benefit from uh, from all people, the answer to that is because she has 
a source of benefit, namely the tithes that are left to the poor from uh, the harvest. And the, those tithes are referred to here as leket, shika, and peah. Each one is distinct, but it's beyond the purview of our uh, shear today to get into those distinctions. But for our purposes, these ties that a person leaves in the field uh, are hefker. They're unowned. Therefore, they're not considered from people. And therefore, this uh, the benefit that she gets from the Lekha Shikopea would not be a violation of her vow. Her vow was not to benefit from people, from things that people own. Lekha Shikopea is hefker. It's unowned. Therefore, uh, she has a means of sustenance. Once again, let's remind you, and you see this in the Mephorshim of your, these Mishnayas are in accordance with Reb Yossi, who has a very uh, restrictive approach to what is considered Inui Nefesh. This is not considered Inui Nefesh. I would like to point out that the way we presented this section of the Mishnah is something that the Gemara itself will um, investigate. So we have to leave uh, a certain level of open-mindedness with uh, regard to uh, the approach to the Mishnah. We continue. A woman vows that uh, the Kahanim and Levim shall not be allowed to benefit from her. Yitlu al Korchoi. We mentioned a woman, it could be a man as well. A man vowed that Kayanim and Levim shall not benefit from them. They have a right to take their tithes. Kahanim received the Trumo tithe, Levim received the Miser Rishon tithe. They take against his will. Kayanim Elu, Ulavim Elu Nanimli, if a person specified Kayanim and Levim that he does not want to benefit from him, Yitlu Achirim. So others uh, are, are, are going to receive or will take from him their tithes, and not those that he, uh, that he identified in his vow. Vigamora. Alma, from uh, the fact that the Mishnah says that the woman who vowed the husband cannot annul that vow it shows us that there is no Inui Nefesh here why is there no Inui Nefesh so when we presented the Mishnah we might have been guilty of over explaining things but if you simply take this clause, the opening of the Mishnah, the husband cannot annul that, and why not? Because it doesn't represent Inui Nefesh. It must be, because she can receive her sustenance from him, from the husband. So since she has a means of support, namely her husband, Michlal, then this would show us the Baal Lav Bichlal Brioisu. A woman's husband is not considered within the category of Brios. Brios means mankind. So when the woman vowed uh, not to benefit from mankind, that doesn't include her husband. Amo Sefa. Well, let's continue reading the Mishnah, and we read the Sefa. It said in the continuation of the Mishnah, 
the woman who had vowed not to benefit from mankind, she is entitled to take the leket shichon peah ties that are left in people's fields. But she doesn't eat, she doesn't receive sustenance from her husband. In other words, according to the, this clause of the Mishnah, the woman's only option for support is collecting the leket shikon but not from her husband. And from this clause, one comes to an opposite conclusion, namely, that the husband is included in the realm of Rios, in the realm of mankind, concerning which her vow stated she is prohibited to benefit. If you focus simply on the dashed underlining, you see clearly the problem. The you know, two lines up, you have Baal Lav Bichlal Brios, and here we have Baal Bichlal Brios. We have answers to this. And on the side of the more under the No Say Mivne heading, the triangle is um, presented, a series marking Deos in Baal Bichlal Brios. Uh, different opinions on this topic, whether or not the husband is considered a subcategory of Brios. Regarding a woman who had vowed not to benefit from the Brios. So we continue in the Gemara with triangle number one. The husband really is not considered part of mankind. And thusly, the Mishnah is meant to be understood. The Oid, Ein not only can she benefit from the husband, but furthermore, she has another option of support, namely the leket shikhan peah, so that uh, as far as Ula is concerned, um, the Mishnah represents uh, a stance that says the Baal is not included in the rest of mankind regarding the vow. Rova Omar, Li Oilom Baal Bichlal Briosu. In fact, the husband is considered part of mankind, and she cannot benefit from the husband. Umatam Komar, and the Mishnah is offering an explanation, a built in explanation. Matam Ein Why is it that the husband cannot absolve the vow? Because she still has an option of support, namely the leket shikon peah, but not the husband. Rav Nachman Omar lioilom baal lav bechlal briosu vehachikotani. Before we go further, we glance at the Rashi. Rav Nachman Omar lioilom baal lav bechlal brios vaidikomar. The Mishnah says he cannot uh, annul. It really means he doesn't need to annul. Now, let's go back to the Gemara text. So Rav Nachman says the husband is really not considered part of the Brios. Hence, the woman who vowed not to benefit from the Brios, she's still allowed to benefit from her husband, and therefore there's no element of Inui Nefesh, the Hachi Kotani, and the Mishnah is teaching us the following. Nisgarsha, when she, or if she gets divorced, and now upon being divorced, the husband is Bichlal Brios, Yechoyla Lehenas Belekut Shikopeh, she still has a means of support, 
and that is through the Leket Shiklam Payot Tithe. We continue at the top of Pei Dalit Omen Aleph. Eisvei Rova L'Rav Nachman Is that really so that the husband is not considered part of the rest of uh, mankind? We have a Mishnah which we cited uh, in our previous Shiurim and it's quoted later on. Netula Anim Ayudim A woman who vowed not to be part of the Jewish people. Now, what does that mean? Now, at fir- the first uh, um, at first glance, she seems to be uh, removing herself from benefiting from all the Jewish people. The Mishnah says that the husband shall annul his portion, so to speak, uh, and she is mishamashto. Mishamashto generally is a reference to intimacy, and as a result of his annulment, she can then have intimacy with him, but she remains prohibited to all other Jews. If you're going to say that the husband is not considered part of the brios, then what was she vowing? She was vowing, in, a, in effect, not... She wasn't vowing with regard to uh, Tashmish. She was vowing to prevent herself from something that otherwise she would be allowed to participate in or benefit from. So if you remove the husband from the picture on the grounds that Ba'alav B'chabriz, so what was she vowing when she said She was saying, very simply... I, I uh, prohibit myself from benefiting from all other Jews, all other all other kinds of benefits. She's not vowing not to have relations with them. She's prohibiting anyway in having relations with them. She would have to. The, the nature of her vow would be a vow to prevent her from something that otherwise would be allowed. So if you remove the husband from the equation. What does Natula Animenayuda mean? It means that she she vows not to benefit from uh, all all other Jews. Well then, Nidre Inui Nefesh Hain. You're dealing then with a basic neder of Inui Nefesh, a woman who's not going to be able to benefit, not receive uh, food from anybody, uh, not receive services from anybody. That's going to lead to her suffering. The Olam. And the husband should be able to. Uh, annul the vow permanently. Why does the source indicate that, well, the husband annuls the vow, but she remains prohibited to the rest? So, with this in mind, uh, it would appear then that the Baal is Bichlal Brios, and her vow was really a vow not to engage in intimacy, which otherwise she would have been allowed to do with her husband. And as we see in the source, the husband annuls that aspect, and uh, she remains uh, prohibited to everyone else. What's the main point, though? The main point in raising this question is that it must be that the Baal is Bechal Brios. In order to appreciate this a little more, let's learn the Teisvis commentary together. We have a little star that we put in the Teisvis. Uh, the Isforim, the Garsi, we're looking at the Tesis as you see, about a quarter of the way or a third of the way down into his commentary. 
the Isfam de Garsi, the Yamris Baal Lav Vichabriyasu. There are those versions of Gemara that have this text, like we have, that if you say that the husband is not part of mankind, Netula Minahudim Lav Tashmish Komra. The vow of Netula Minahudim is not a reference to uh, matters of intimacy. Sharei Asur Betashmisham below Nidra. She is anyway prohibited in intimacy with other people. You're dealing with a married woman. So, uh, if you're going to remove the husband from the realm of Brios, what was she vowing? This is what she was saying. I forswear, benefiting from the fruits of all the Jews, that I will not benefit from them, even when it's not theirs. The Imkain have a inuin nefesh, and if she's uh, forswearing, benefiting from fruits of all people, then that is inuin nefesh. No, I'm reading Shein Parnasus Elmi Menor Yofir. This we've seen before that if uh, a, a woman's means of uh, accessing fruits is only from one person, then the husband can annul that vow. The Hal Lekol Amemar, the Omra Kinim Nene Minabrios Dafke Beodishilahem. To suggest that her vow is an abstention of fruits only when she gets them from the other people, but not when her husband would get it for her. If that were the nature of her vow, then why should he be able to annul the vow when she's with him? If her vow was allowing her, was, was leaving the option of her benefiting from fruits the husband would get for her, so the husband shouldn't be able to annul that even on the grounds of Beino And this is the Rabbeinu Yonah's uh, explanation. Uh, and being that if you're going to say the Baal is Lav Michal Brios, then as we said, her vow was not to benefit from all fruits, uh, then why does the uh, source indicate that once the husband annuls, uh, she remains prohibited uh, from other people, from benefiting from other people? Even after she's divorced, she should be allowed, based on the rules of Haforas Nedarim of Inui Nefesh. Elo Lav, rather, you have to conclude, Baal Bechlal Briosu that the husband is really part of mankind, and when she vowed that language, that text of she was saying that she is uh, prohibiting herself from uh, intimacy. Uh, and what was she in effect prohibiting herself from? From intimacy with her husband, who otherwise would have been permitted. That's a type of vow that we call Beinolaveina. So all of this having been said, we go back to the main point. In order to understand this Tanaic source, we would have to say that the Baal is Bichlal Brios, and her vow was a vow of uh, abstaining from intimacy. Because otherwise you would have had a case of abstention from fruits, and that would have been an Inui Nefesh vow, and it would have been a, an annulment that would have been permanent. But that's not what the source says. The Gemara responds, 
And here we have to just read in a few words before we read the Gemara text. And we've indicated this between the lines. We wrote in that a, a husband is really not Bichlal Brios. And in this case, we have to say that he is Bichlal Brios. And the Gemara text says, Shiny Hocha. This case is different. The Mukha Milsa, it's obvious that Al Hetero Kosra and when she vowed, she was vowing to prohibit herself from something that otherwise would have been allowed. Now, we continue in the Toysavis commentary, just to get some more clarification on this answer, where we left off in the shiny hocha. this vow of Natul Meriodim is different. The Mukha Milsa, it's clear, the Torah Osra, the Torah prohibits her. Even though regarding all other matters, the husband really is not considered part of mankind with regard to her vowing. Here, he is part of mankind. The text of Netula is to be understood thusly. Netula mi ba'al so that understanding the Tulam Yehudim as yes, referring to the issue of Tashmish in this area you have to say that the Baal is included with the rest of the, of the people uh, because of uh, the fact that she's otherwise usher anyway to be with other people she's a married lady but regarding other matters, meaning non-intimacy type vows, the husband is not considered Bichlal Brios. And that, of course, is uh, what Rav Nachman had concluded. With that, we conclude our Shior for today.